We've been in a series of messages, and I have no set agenda. I don't have any really, you know, I've read some commentaries, but really just opening Scripture, letting the Holy Spirit speak to me. We're in this series, which the Lord spoke to me last year, Let Us Rise Up and Build. And our anchor for, our anchor text for this series is right out of chapter 2, verse 18, that we've read every week. It's our anchor text. It says, Nehemiah speaking, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word, which he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah was the cupbearer in Susa, He left Susa with the permission of the king, and he makes his way all the way to Jerusalem. But that's where his heart was when he heard Hanani, his brother, had told him of the the reproach. You know, it's sad when a work of God falls into reproach. It doesn't have to be that way because we serve the mighty God. I want to talk about that mighty God today. But he goes there, and in this verse, he, he shares with them what's on his heart, and they took hold of it. His words were, not, were more than words. The Holy Spirit was on his words, and it just stirred the heart of the people. And as we come to chapter, th- chapter 3, what we find is a group of people that are, that are all active. They're all busy doing their part. Nehemiah could do his part, but the high priest had to do his part. And then someone else had to do their part. And as you read through chapter 3, everyone's doing different work. Some's doing, some are doing more than others. But some people can do more than others. You know, there's some people that have more gifts than other people do. But everything someone does is important to the Lord. And so here they are. They're like a little beehive. They're all over the wall. They're working. And, and then we have been looking at these gates. There are ten gates in chapter 3. And I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 28 today. It says... Beyond the horse gate, the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. And I pray the Lord would bless his word to our hearts today. I've titled this message, The Horse Gate. Listen, the horse gate, the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. The Lord mighty in battle. Do you hear that today? The Lord mighty in battle. The Christian life is a life. You know, I don't know what you thought about when, when you gave your heart to Jesus. You know, we can have some preconceived ideas about what it means to follow Jesus. But the Christian life, are many, there are many metaphors and facets to that. But one of the things that we could say about the Christian life is the Christian life is a life of warfare as is pictured through the Word of God. Now, as we've looked at these gates, what we're seeing is... We're looking at the character of Jesus. Because in some way or another, everything in the Bible points to Jesus, the Son of God. As we're looking at these ten gates, we're looking at some aspect of Jesus' life, His ministry, His character, if you will. So, so if, if the sheep gate is Jesus, the Lamb of God, and points to that, and if, if the fish gates point to the one, Jesus, who comes to seek and save, that which is lost. And if the old gate points to his 
eternal nature before Abraham was, I am. And if the valley gate points to Jesus' deep humility by leaving heaven, becoming man. And if the refuse gate is Jesus, the, the sanctifier and the cleanser of his people. See, Jesus doesn't want just to forgive you of your sin. He wants to give you power over all sin. You can live for God in this world. You say, you don't know my husband. You don't know my work where I'm living. You don't know this. No, we've never discovered the greatness of the power of salvation. That we've been born again. We've been made clean. Do you realize the greater one is on the inside of you and I? The power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You can overcome anything the enemy will throw at you. Because greater is our Savior today. He wants to sanctify His people. In fact, if you read in Ephesians, the only one thing He's coming for is a pure bride. I want Him, when He splits the eastern sky, I want Him one day, when He looks upon His bride, and what He, what he sees spiritually... Not just us, but what he sees spiritually, he sees a beautiful bride. And her garment is, is, is white with the righteousness of Christ. And, and it's not all tattered and has holes in it and dirty because his bride's been wallowing in the world. But no, no, no. His bride is going to be clean without spot, without wrinkle, because that's the work that he can do through his Holy Spirit and Word. And if the fountain gate represents Jesus, the great baptizer, in the Holy Spirit. And the water gate represents Jesus, the living word and the written word. What does the horse gate represent? In the horse gate, we see Jesus, the mighty Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. Say that with me, the Lord mighty in battle. He's mighty in battle today. In fact, he's never lost the battle. Now, I have to tell you, sadly, I've lost some battles. You've lost some battles. But it's always when we got our eyes off Him, isn't it? It's always when we went our way and didn't do His way. But if you'll follow Him, you'll never have a defeat. Because He'll bring you through. Jesus, the mighty Lord of hosts. The Lord, mighty in battle. Now, when we think about the horse in Scripture, the horse is always associated with war. It's associated with battle. It's associated with, with this, this, this thought of war and battle. Do you realize there's the name, the Lord of hosts, which, which means the Lord of armies. Now, you know that's a name of God in the Bible, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Sebiot, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Now, if, if that name was used one time, it would be settled forever. Do you realize how many times the name the Lord of hosts is used in, in the Scripture? It's used 285 times in Scripture. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of battles. Now, there used to be, there was actually a time when some of the old hymns were written when there was this, this war metaphor, this battle metaphor that was woven through many of the hymns. And there was a time when we kind of lost that. But do you realize that many of these modern songs are going right back to that? And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for these songs today. Love every one of these songs today. But do you realize that a man by the name of Martin Luther wrote a song called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let me read one little stanza. Here's, here's what Brother Luther wrote. Here's what it says. Did we in our own strength confide 
our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Doth ask who that may be? Look at Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. Come on. Jesus Christ, mighty in battle. Martin Luther understood it. But we see this about the horse. Exodus says this, Moses and the children of Israel sang a song to the, sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And that was when Pharaoh and his armies and chariots were, were be, bearing down on the people of God. And they had a Red Sea before them and an army behind them. And, and God said to Moses, don't cry to me. Just put the rod out. Move forward. And it was in those waters of the Red Sea that the horse and the rider were, tri- were, were triumphed over in the, because the mighty Lord of hosts came and stepped on the battlefield. Amen. Now, if it, had, if, it had, uh, if it had depended on Moses' strength as a human being or on the people of Israel, they had no strength on their own, but only when, we, when the Lord of hosts steps on the battle can we win these victories. Isaiah said this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. They trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But who... But who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. They look for, in other words, the the message is this. Here's people that go down to Egypt and they look for worldly strength. They look for worldly cleverness. But they don't look to the Lord. How many know our strength is in the Lord today? Our success is in our strength and trust in Him. The psalmist said this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The psalmist again said, a horse, a horse is a vain hope for safety. A, hope, a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its own strength. So we look at this horse gate today. The Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. We see three things that I want to bring to your heart today. Three things. Number one, and we've already alluded to it. What we see in scripture, we see a picture of the Lord of hosts. We see a picture many times throughout the scripture. Sometimes inferred, sometimes implicit, sometimes explicit. But we have pictures of the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of the armies of heaven, our Lord Jesus. The psalmist said it this way. Brother Jason read it this morning. I had him read it on purpose because I knew it was going to go along with my sermon. I wanted to hit you real quick before you, know, before you got to the sermon. I'm, already, I'm slipping it in, okay? Is that all right? Here's what he said. I'll read it again, Jason. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong, mighty in battle. The Lord mighty in battle. That's who this king of glory is. You remember when God said to Joshua and Israel, okay, you guys, you wandered around 40 years. Because you wouldn't trust me. I mean, no, unbelief will never get you anywhere. We have churches today across our land full of unbelief. And I won't meddle there, but that's true. Full of unbelief. Finally, there was a people under Joshua's leadership that said, hey, we're going to trust you, Lord. All that former generation died off. And then finally, God looked to and fro and he found someone like Joshua, which is a type of Jesus. That's the Hebrew name of Jesus. Did you know that? 
Joshua, the Lord is salvation. And the Lord said, I want you to cross this Jordan. How do we do it, Lord? You get the priest just to walk out there. You, you bear the ark, which is a type of the presence of the Lord among his people. And they, they waded out in that water. And as their, their feet hit that water, they stepped out. That water parted. And they walked across the Jordan on dry land. And now here they are. And they're right outside of Jericho. They could probably see it. Now, if they had been, if they had been self-confident, they would have said, oh, we got this now. But they were, we don't need to be self-confident. We need to be God-confident. We need to get the Lord's instructions. And so Joshua, he was out walking around, probably praying, probably just meditating on the Lord. And all of a sudden, he meets someone. Notice this. Joshua 5.13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man stood opposite him. So he's walking around out there, outside the camp probably, and he looks over there, and there's this man there that's standing opposite him. He just shows up. And notice how he is postured. His sword is drawn in his hand. He's ready to battle. He's ready to fight. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And I love the answer. And he said, no. <laughs> what kind of answer is that? No. That's not an answer. But it is an answer. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? No. Notice what he says. The commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. As the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Notice what he says here. He's the, are you on our side or are you on their side? No. I've not come to take up your agenda. I've not come to take orders. I've come to take over in Jesus' name. We don't need to know, our, God, are you on our side? That's not the answer. That's not the question even. The question is, are we on the captain of the Lord's side? Are we following him in Jesus' name? Now notice this. And he said, verse 14, No, I'm the commander of the army of the the commander of the army of the Lord, I've come. Joshua, now notice this. This is not just an angel. It's not a Michael. It's not Gabriel. Notice, why? How do we know that? Notice what, notice what Joshua does. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, now, that sounds, sounds a lot like what happened to Moses at the burning bush, doesn't it? Why? Because it's the same one. Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Notice the picture here. When, when the Lord is about to take his people into the promised land, there's going to be battle after battle after battle. What picture did the Lord want to have of, them, of him? The Lord said, I want you to see me as the Lord of hosts, the commander who's leading the armies of heaven, and I am mighty in battle, and I don't lose battles. We lose battles when we fail to follow him. Notice the picture. The Lord mighty to save. Realize the Lord, the, Lord's, the Lord is called a man of war. I know this may be uncomfortable for a lot of people 
and think this is incompatible with the cross, but it's not. In, in Exodus 15.3, it says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. When Egypt, the, the, the mighty empire of Egypt, lifted up their hand to dominate Israel, God sent a prophet named Moses and said, Let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should let him go? And he would do a miracle and the, the false uh, prophets Janus and Jambrius would do a miracle. But the Lord will never be outdone. And finally, after these ten miracles, these ten plagues, the Lord brought the mightiest empire of that day to their knees. And they, they, they went out with a mighty hand. Why? Because God stepped in and said, let my people go. And the Lord fight those, fought those battles and brought his people out and eventually brought his people in to the promised land. How I many you know Jesus is going to return one day? How's he going to come back? We get a prophetic picture of this in Revelation. Look on the screen. Now I saw heaven opened. Notice, and behold, a white horse in him. He who sat on it was called faithful and true and in righteousness. He shall judge and make war. Notice, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. Why does he have many crowns? Because he's not just the king. He's the king of the kings. We're going to take our crowns and throw them down. Listen, the mightiest people on the face of the earth are going to one day throw their crowns down and acknowledge that he is the mighty God. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He, he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Notice, in the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. I'm going to get a horse. I've never had a horse of my own, but I'm going to get me one in that day. I used to ride a horse, but he wasn't my horse. I'm going to get me a white horse. How about you guys? Come on. You're going to be next to me. I'm going to be next to you. We're going to be following the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty to save, the commander of the Lord's army. And notice what's going to happen. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he will strike the nations. And he himself will rule with an iron rod. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Glory to God. Do you know who your Jesus is today? Listen. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather together for the supper of the great God. That means this. There's still battles to fight. This world is still in a mess, is it not? There's still forces of evil against our Christ and against his kingdom. But Jesus is going to return one day. He's going to fight that last battle. And one day there's going to be eternal righteousness and eternal peace. And so shall we ever be with the Lord on that day in the eternal future age. There is, there is between Chile and, and uh, Argentina, there stands a huge statue. You've seen it. You've seen it on video. I'm sure that you've seen it. It's called the Christ of the Andes. And what you may not know is that that Christ of the Andes stands there between Argentina and Chile. Argentina and Chile were in war for many years.
many, many years fighting back and forth. But finally, one day, they came to their senses. They took their armament. They took their cannons. They took all of those things, and they melted it down. And they made this huge statue of the Christ of the Indies. And at the foot of that Colossus statue of Christ Jesus, it says these words, and I quote, Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than the people of Argentina and Chile break the peace, which at the feet of Christ the Redeemer they have sworn to this mountain, end quote. One day, after all the dust settles, after everything is over, Jesus is going to be standing there as King of kings and Lord of lords. Why is that? Because He's the only one that can give the victory to this world. Men have tried every philosophy. they tried every clever thing. They've tried every humanistic idea. And I ask you, are we any better today? Are our marriages any better? Are our young people any better is, is, is drug addiction gone away? Is alcoholism a thing of the past? Is what spousal abuse a thing of the past? Are we any better as a world? No, we are not. But one day Jesus is going to step on the battlefield for the very last time. And he's, he's the one that can make wars to cease. Micah says this. This is, this is one of my favorite verses in the Word of God. Micah 3. I'm sorry, four and three. He will judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. Notice, they sh- this is a future day. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Neither shall they learn war anymore. There'll come a day when moms... Don't send their boys off to war to never come back again. And millions have been sent off in World War II, World War I, World War II. World War I was the war to end all wars. And not long after, there was another war, and then another war, and another war. And Jesus said, in the end time, there'll be wars and rumors of war. But there's coming a day, according to the word of God, the prophetic word of the Lord, they shall take their spears, and they shall make them pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up war sword against nation. Now, neither shall they learn war anymore. How is that going to happen? Because we serve the Lord of hosts. We serve the Lord mighty in battle. We serve the one. That makes war cease. He can make national and international war cease. But he can fight your battles. He can make your war cease. He, if you'll invite him in. He can step in the battlefield of your life. And he can win the battle for you. Listen what you've struggled to do for decades. He can step on the battlefield. And you can be delivered in the name of the Lord. Because his name is a saving name. The psalmist said this. Notice Psalm 46. Verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, that means rest. Think about it. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. Verse 9. He makes wars to cease. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. 
He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He makes wars to cease. Those weapons the enemies used against you, he can take those weapons and he can snap them in two. He can give you victory and bring peace in your life. Do you see it in Scripture? Do you see the incredible picture that the Lord said, I want you to see what the Word of God says. Over 280 times, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of heaven is used. He's mighty in battle. Number two, not only the picture, but notice this, the power of the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. There was a time when Israel was facing a battle and the Philistines were on one side and the Israel, God's people, were on the other side. For 40 days, a man came out and said, basically, I defy the God of Israel. I curse your gods. I defy your God. And it says that all these days, every day, that Israel would go out with the war chant. And that kind of means this. They'd go out, hit each other on the back. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, we're going to do great things today. But it was all empty emotionalism. There was no power behind it. It was just empty. Because the giant was still there. And they were all really afraid. How many of you have heard people that hype up stuff and really they're afraid? It's empty hype. And finally, one day, a teenager. Sometimes the young people have to wake us up. And a teenager comes on the scene. He comes from his father, Jesse, and he is just coming to check things out. He's like any teenage boy would. He wants to see what's going on. His father takes some cheeses, brings some food to his other brothers. And it just so happens that, that on that day, that he's standing there talking with his brothers, talking to kind of get some information to see what's going on. All of a sudden, this, this man named Goliath steps out on the battlefield. And he defies the God of Israel. He defies Israel. He, he demeans with demeaning speech, with bullying speech. He's talking and blaspheming God. Blaspheming the people of God, daring them to do anything, double dog daring them to do anything. And finally, David just asked a simple question Why is no one doing anything? Why is nobody dealing with this, this guy? And I'm sure they had a, well, let's, let's discuss this, David, you know, some kind of, some kind of, well, you know. There's, we've got to wait on the Lord, and you know, and, and I'm sure they had all their excuses. Finally, David said, I'll go deal with this guy. If nobody else will, I will. You know what? If you won't step up to the plate and be bold in your God, the Lord will find someone. The Lord will find someone. Do you realize that probably some of the greatest preachers the world has ever known are maybe little babies right now? They may be little babies in this nursery right here that will eclipse the ministry of Billy Graham. Why? Because if you won't step up, God will find someone that will. And Saul says, well, hey, let me let you try my armor out here. David said, I can't try this stuff. I can't use this stuff. 
I haven't tried this stuff. I can't, I can't use this. This is not going to work. I mean, a lot of this stuff just doesn't work. This psychology doesn't work. Hyping folks up don't, doesn't work. But I tell you what does work. God's weapons. God's battle plans. Being born again using the name of Jesus. Prayer works. The power of the Holy Spirit will work. The Word of God will work. Holy living will work. But some of this stuff they're trying to put on the modern day church, we need to shake that stuff off. It doesn't work. It doesn't kill any giants. It doesn't get anybody saved. It doesn't deliver off drugs and alcohol and immorality. That stuff doesn't work. We need something that's going to work. And David had been using something that worked. He had killed a bear. He had killed a lion. And he said, listen, Saul said, how are you going to go out and fight this guy? He's a man of war from his youth, and you're just a youth. He said, listen, a bear tried to steal the sheep, and I killed him. A lion tried to kill the sheep, and I, and I killed him. Who is this Philistine to lift up here, this uncircumcised Philistine, to mock the living God? And David goes out on the battlefield with nothing more than a slingshot and five stones. Think about that. you got to love a guy like that. you got to love a guy like that. We have, a, we have a world full of excuse makers. We have a world full of victims now. They glory in their victimization. Oh, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that, and they hurt me back in 72, and this and that. We don't want to diminish anyone's genuine pain, but I can tell you people love to be victims because they, they become the center actor on the stage and get all the pity. David was no victim. David said, I'm going to take these five stones, and I'm going to take this slingshot, and he went out there and he even told this guy what he was going to do to him. I'm taking your head off today. Now, the guy didn't believe him, but who cares? The devil, the devil is full of unbelief. You may preach the word of God and preach the truth. And they say, I don't believe that. I don't care what they believe or don't believe. I believe what this book says. And David told him what he was going to do. He said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm taking off your head today. And, and not only that, I'm going to feed your carcass to the buzzards. You just got to love a guy like that. That's like a guy that'll attack hell with a squirt gun. Don't you love a guy like that? Oh, that the spirit of David would come on us. We're going to build this building. If we didn't have 10 cents in the bank, thank God we got more than that. Come on, amen. Don't get nervous. If we didn't have but 10 cents in the bank and God says, build that building now, we're going to build it in the name of Jesus and God will show up. David goes out and faces, notice what he says. Now I'm telling you today, the horse gate refers to war. A horse has to do with war. It always alludes most of the time to battle. The Lord of hosts, mighty in battle. What did, Jesus, what did David say to this bully? We find it, look at it, verse 45. David said to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you, notice, in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's, a, that's the God of armies. 
the name of the, the God of the armies of heaven whom you have defied. I'm, I'm not fighting this. But you may see a teenager. You may see a strapling youth. But what you don't really realize is I have faith to move giants out of the way. I have a God that's with me. And he's going to take the stone and it's going to hit his mark. He failed the Philistine that day. And all of a sudden, the army of Israel, after they saw the Philistine fall down, I've noticed this about folks. If something goes wrong, Pastor, what did you get us into? But if it goes well, oh, look what we did. <laughs> he used the name of the Lord of hosts because God was with him. Come on, amen. Now, I'll close with the last one. And then we're going to receive communion. And our band's going to come back and we're going to pray. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord of hosts, which is the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, glory to God. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wind it down. I'm not done yet, so don't get too anxious here. <laughs> we're, not, <laughs> we're not done yet, right, Brother C? We've we got a little preaching left here. Are we good? Are we good? Come on. Shout amen. Because you've got to get this last part. What do we see in Scripture? This picture over and over and over again. The psalmist and New Testament about this war, this battle. Lord of hosts. And then we see the power of the Lord of hosts. He can defeat giants. He can win victories for us. He can cause wars to cease. It's just about what you see. Remember Elisha in 2 Kings 6? Elisha was a mighty prophet. Elisha. Elisha. He was such a pr prolific prophet. The Syrian king, the Syrian king would, uh, would tell a secret battle plan against Israel in his secret chamber. And then the Lord would speak to Elisha the prophet over in Israel. And he would go to the king of Israel and go, Hey, king, the Lord spoke to me and said, The king of Syria is going to be right at this place to ambush you. Go the other way. And it happened again and again and again. To where the king of Syria just gets, he's thinking, there's, there's, some, there's some betrayal going on here. Which one of my men are, are giving up the secret, you know, top secret information here? And one of the guys kind of said, King, I hate to tell you, nobody's telling any secrets, but there is a man of God in Israel. His name's Elisha. And what you say in secret, God tells him, and, and he's the one. So they they. We're gonna, so finally, we're going to get this guy. We're going to get this guy. So here the Syrian army shows up. And they snuck in there at nighttime, the early dawn of the morning. They sneak in. And all of a sudden, the servant of the prophet Elisha slips out of the tent. He looks, and there are Syrian soldiers and horses and chariots all around the camp. And I think he thought, this is not going to be a good day for us. You ever had one of those days when you felt like you were surrounded by the enemy? All around you, wherever you look, you're surrounded by enemies. And you say, this is not going to be a good day. But then the, then the man of God comes out of the tent. Oh, he stretches. Oh, this is going to be a good morning. Preacher, are you crazy? Don't you see? Oh, yeah. 
young man, servant, I see, but I see something different than you see. It's just a matter of what your mental perspective is. It, it, matters, it just matters what you've been thinking about and who you've been with or what you see. It's like that little kid, those, those two kids that they put in a room full of manure. And one little old boy crying, just wild out, it stinks. The other little old boy said he was in there having the time of his life. He was slinging manure everywhere. And somebody said, son, what in the world are you doing? He said, with all this manure in here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> Just matters what you see, right? Some people have blessing all around them, but they're negative. God banished the negative from this place. Elisha comes out of his tent. And the servant says, look, we're surrounded. And Elisha says, Lord, show him what I see. Open the young man's eyes. And he prayed that prayer. And the Lord opened that young man's eyes. And behind that natural Syrian army was another army in the mountains. Were full probably of angels, horses, and flaming chariots of fire all around them. So what the enemy didn't know, the enemy thought God's people were surrounded, but the enemy was surrounded. The enemy thinks that you're going to be defeated, but what he doesn't know, he's going to be defeated in the name of Jesus. It's just a matter of what you see. I see God around us. He's fighting for us. Lastly, I close with this. The promises of the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. Do you know there's some instructions there's some instructions in the Old Testament of what the people are to do when they go out to battle. Deuteronomy 20. Here's the instructions for battle. When you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. Who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of the battle. The priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them. Hear O Israel. Today you are on the verge of the battle with your enemies. Do not, be, uh, do not let your heart be faint. Uh, do, not, do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified before or because of them. Notice for the Lord your God. Is he who goes with you to fight against, to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Four things, he says. First of all, he commands them, when you go out to the battle, don't be afraid. Don't be faint-hearted. Maybe you're in a battle today and you're afraid. You don't know how it's going to turn out. They look a lot, the, the enemies look a lot bigger than you are. Maybe, you know, you trans it could be in a number of areas of our lives as Christians. He said, I've delivered you out of Egypt. I've saved you. Now you're going to have some other battles. He said, don't fear. Right. Number two, he said that the greatness of the battle should not move us. You may see that they're more numerous than you are. I mean, Israel was a small nation. All the nations were bigger than they were. Deuteronomy 7 said he didn't choose them because they were greater in number. He chose them because he loved them. 
God doesn't have to have a certain number. Come on, church. Amen. He said the greatness of the battle should not move us. The Lord is greater than all of our enemies. He's greater than any problem that you face. He's the Lord Almighty, mighty in battle. And then thirdly, he says he promises to be with them in the battle, in the heat of the battle. The Lord is with you. Come on. The Lord is with you in the heat of the battle. And then he says this. Fourthly, he says the Lord will save you. That means, our, that means when you, it doesn't matter how big the battle is, your success is guaranteed. He's going to deliver us. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now, here's the thing. I close with this. We're getting ready for communion. The first coming of Jesus looked like a defeat. The first coming of Jesus, our great Lord of hosts, our great commander-in-chief, our great Lord, mighty in battle, is hanging on the cross. He's bleeding, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crowned down upon his brow. And he's hanging there, and it looks like a defeat. But it's not a defeat. In fact, it was the, it was the exact plan that God had all along. Even 700 years before, Isaiah said he'll, he is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He would take our iniquities and place them on Jesus. And the Apostle Paul said it this way. He disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. So what looked like a defeat was actually complete victory. Well, God's ways are higher than our ways. Reverend E.P. Scott was a missionary to India. And as he was in an Indian town in India, the nation of India, one day he saw a man dressed in strange garb. And he asked someone, who is that? And he said, Brother Scott, that's, that's a man from a tribe way up in the mountains. Nobody's ever reached them. Nobody's ever taken the gospel to them. The Lord put it on Brother Scott's heart to take the gospel to them. So he began to trek up into those mountains. And as he made his way close to that tribe, all of a sudden he comes around a corner and here, is, is, here are warriors. Here are savage warriors, a war party. They come upon him and they take their spears. And some of, some of them even take the tip of the spear and put it right over his heart. He's standing there, not really knowing what's going to happen in the next moment. He reaches down and he opens his violin. And he begins to play his violin. All hail the power of Jesus' name. And he was singing it in their native tongue. As he played his violin, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, 
Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth. And by this time he had closed his eyes because he knew he was going to die at any moment. When he gets to the third stanza, he opens his eyes. And I don't know how God did it, but those savage warriors had dropped their spears and were crying. God had won a great victory that day. Not with spears, not with swords, not with human armament. Because listen, the weapons we fight with are not carnal. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That tribe invited him for over two years. He ministered among them. And won many to Christ. Why? Because we have the great Lord of hosts. The God who wins battles for you and I. And this morning as we go to the table of communion, we're celebrating the victory. We're celebrating what brings us victory. There is no victory without what we're about to celebrate. Our ushers are going to come. And they're going to give you the juice and the bread. I want you to hold it. We're going to come back and we're going to receive together and then we're going to conclude this time together with prayer ushers would you would you serve us please